change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Pods Weekly. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, no Ticats game to talk about this week with the team on their first bye week of the 2021 season. But that doesn't mean we can't start off with something a little fun. Uh, we decided, you and I, last week that we were going to do t-shirt giveaways. Thanks to our good buddies at Tarps Apparel for supplying us with a plethora of Hamilton Tiger Cat Legends t-shirts. Paulus Baldison, Earl Winfield, and Angela Mosca in particular. And we kind of spitballed for a little while what would be a fun way to sort of be able to give away these shirts and you came up with the brilliant idea of let's ask a question something related to something we said in the episode uh that would get people to listen and pay attention and then put out there a question from what we said and then have people answer we'll put their names into a draw and we'll pick a winner every week until basically we're out of shirts uh so we did that last week and our first question was what nickname did we bestow upon Argos quarterback McLeod Bethel Thompson? You and I were talking about him last week, and you compared him to journeyman NFL quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, whose nickname is Fitzmagic. So then I just spontaneously blurted out, he's Magic," And that was the nickname. So we put that out there. We got a number of replies. I have found an online random name picker. I was going to do this old school, Mike. I was going to actually write these names on a piece of paper and pull them out of a hat and then shake the hat in front of the microphone so that you could hear that it was actually being shook. But I was like, it's 2021 for crying out loud. Why, why am I doing this with pen and paper when there's got to be some sort of online thing that I can I can use to take care of this? So I found one. So if you're ready, Mike, I'm going to hit the pick a random name button and we're going to have our first winner. Are you excited? All right, let's do this. I'll All give right. you a drum roll here. All right, and here we go. And our winner is Adam at Adam Young three two nine. Congratulations, Adam! You are the first winner of our Podski T-shirt giveaway. We will be reaching out to you on social media to get your address so that we can uh, discuss which size and color and player you would like. So congratulations, Adam, on being our first winner. And thank you to everyone for participating. We have got 30-some-odd shirts here, so this is not ending anytime soon. If you didn't win this week, you are still able to join us each and every week until we are out of shirts. We're going to have a fun time doing this. And, Adam, you are our first winner. Congratulations, pal. Congratulations, sir. Sir, I know he's a a long-time listener, so... uh... Uh, a good start to the uh, to giving out these shirts. Indeed. A good start for the show. Uh, hasn't been a great start for the Ticats this year, but uh, I, I think things are going to turn around. I, that, that, that's where I'm going with this. Um, but like I said, no game to talk about this week, Mike, so we got to talk about some news. And not great was the uh, announcement that the Ticats had released a pair of players, quarterback Jamar Smith and st- former starting left tackle Trevon Tate. What did you think of when you heard the news, especially with Tate, that the guy who started at left tackle in week one took the majority of reps throughout training camp at the position was let go over the bye week? It makes me wonder if there's something in the works to to bring someone in or or, or what's the deal. But uh, it, it was quite odd to let him go so quickly. You know, the pegged uh, starting left tackle in training camp, uh, starter in the first game, uh, it, it, something must have went wrong, really wrong, what they saw on tape, or or, or I'm not sure, but uh, to let him go so quickly was uh, was a bit of a head-scratcher. Yeah, it took me a little bit by surprise. I know he was a scratch. He was put on the one-game injured list for week two, and they slid K. Okafor into his spot, and the line didn't look any better in week two against the Riders than it did in week one against the Bombers. Uh, 
I don't really – are they bringing in someone? Are they going to try another young guy? They have uh, – I believe his name is Jordan Murray. He's this like, – I think he's something like six, seven, six, eight, three, thirty. like on the roster. Could this be another – sorry, another young guy? Could they make a move to bring in a veteran who might be available via trade or on the street? It's, I, it's – the overall thing I'm I'm trying to get at here, are you now more concerned? Because you're always Mr. Offensive Line, always concerned about the offensive line. You were the one to beat before the season. I was all gung-ho, no, this is going to work, this is going to be fine. And you're like, I don't know, it's a lot of changes, and it hasn't looked great through two weeks. And now we see the guy that was starting at left tackle let go. Are, I'm starting to come to your your side here, man. I'm a little, little concerned with all the upheaval on this offensive line that this could be a season-long problem. And if that's the case, I don't think this team can – achieve the lofty goals and lofty expectations that we set upon them just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I'm worried. I am. I I think, you know, just the overall performance of the line, you know, the guys in the interior that are supposed to be, you know, solid. Um, And and I'm not saying they're not, but, but they haven't had the best first two games. So, and then the release of Tate and you got to wonder is, is uh, Chris Van Zyl like Listen, I love Chris Van Zyl. I know where you're he's going. He's getting here. up there. Yep. He's getting up there. Is he still the same guy? Um, he didn't look that great in his first game back. Now, you know, he there there could be rust. I mean, he hasn't played in almost two years. He's coming off an injury. Um, he could come back and uh, be the same guy that he's been his whole career. But at this point right now, I'm a little nervous about him, and I'm a nervous a little nervous about uh, the rest of these guys on the offensive line too, because if if the right tackle position, you know, isn't up to snuff, then we got the left tackle position. That that's a big question mark too. So, yes, I, I am I am worried. I was at work this week, and I work a lot by myself, so it's a lot of time for quiet reflection and thinking. And I started thinking about the Chris Van Zyl thing, honestly. And guys who get up there at age that are still productive, the decline it you don't decline gradually. It's these guys, these top stars. It's like they're great, and then it you plummet. Um, we haven't seen it yet with Tom Brady in NFL, but we will. Uh, we did see it. Peyton Manning is is my classic example of recent vintage. He was an MVP caliber player. He gets a little nicked up, and all of a sudden he can't complete a pass. Um, look at Matt Nichols. In I, no, Matt Nichols was never a star, but look at Matt Nichols this year. All of a sudden. He can't throw anything longer than it seems longer than twenty five yards. Like guys get hurt. Guys who who have competed at the highest of levels, I you don't ever find that they're. It's like oh they're they ease into sort of the end of their playing career and then you know maybe they take a backup role. You see, guy, it just it's a it's they plummet off a cliff, and I'm starting to wonder if maybe we're seeing that with Van Zyl. Like I, I'm with you, man. I still think he has the. I mean, the last time we saw him play, he was the best, voted the best lineman in the CFL. And I, even at 37, I felt like, I don't know, I thought a year off, maybe his body would be able to heal up. And then he gets nicked up, and I didn't think that was a big deal. But he, he did not look good against Saskatchewan. And again, maybe it is rust, like you said. But I, I, I do wonder if maybe we're just seeing the team, they, they hung on, you know, one year too long. I hate, to, I, again, I hate saying stuff like this, but... You always hear about teams wanting to get rid of a guy a year too early than a year too late. And um, if we continue to see sort of lackluster play, for lack of a better word, from Van Zyl, if maybe the the team did hang on uh, one year too too long with him, you know? Yeah, and it's – I mean, if he starts going downhill and we have a rookie or, or um, you know, a, a player that's only been around, not had many starts at left tackle, I mean, it's open season on our quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And – uh like you said earlier, if this offensive line can't perform and can't protect, then uh, we're going to have a long season ahead. And I, that that would be extremely disappointing, you know, the way that we came into this season thinking that we're the best team in the league to, uh, you know, maybe not even making the playoffs. But I don't want to get too negative on this team because it's so early and we only lost. So they're only 0-2, you know, we'll see what happens. But at this point right now, I, I, I am concerned with the offensive line. That's That's for sure. Yeah, and the thing is, of course, the last, the last we haven't seen them play in a week, and we still have a bitter taste in their mouth from the way the season opened. But they got back to back to back games against teams in the East. If they if they're three and two in three weeks, they're probably first place in the division. We're in a completely different mood. You know what I mean? But it's just mm-hmm. seeing 
all the upheaval. And it, because it's the offensive line, too, it's the one area where you want cohesion, where you want uh, – you don't want this sort of mass chaos. And to see the left tackle gone, to see them change out the right guard, to see we're kind of a question mark at the, at the right tackle position. Um, we got a new center. Like, it's just – it's a lot of changes, a lot of moving parts, and it, you, you kind of want to see guys – the five guys kind of stick to what they to who they are, and you hope that that's the unit that can go forward. But you uh, you can't help but be a little concerned if you're a Ticat fan, given what we've seen so far this season, and, and now what we're seeing with with releases and injuries and such. It's um, yeah, it, it, it makes me worried, especially we're coming up in a game against Montreal, which uh, has been known to feast on some quarterbacks this season. They've uh, they, they put together themselves, and we'll talk about the Owls in, in a bit. They put together themselves a really good defensive line, so this could be a, a real test for whoever the starting five is for the Ticats. Um, they also released quarterback Jamar Smith, and that's not really newsworthy. He was on the practice roster, but it is kind of newsworthy in conjunction with the re-signing of David Watford, at least according to his agency. They said the Ticats re-signed him. It hasn't been officially declared yet, but I feel like that's just a matter of days or so that we'll find out Watford back with the Cats. Probably has to go through protocol and, and all that sort of stuff. But what do you think about the Cats bringing back David Watford? We know that they can only dressed to quarterback, so I don't know if this is, and I don't, as far as I know, no one's hurt between Evans and Mazzoli, so do you think this is, like, what do you think about that? I'm not even, I'm not sure what the what the thinking is here. And I like yeah. David Watford. I thought he was great as a short yardage quarterback, but if you're right. not going to dress three quarterbacks, I'm not really sure why you would bring him back. Yeah, we thought that uh, Jamar would be, you know, an interesting prospect, um, maybe a future quarterback for this team, uh, based on, you know, just – his college career, yeah. his mobility, all that stuff. Um, but it is it is quite it is a bit confusing. I mean, you're, like you said, David Watford was great on short yardage, but uh, if he's not going to be able to do that, then I don't see what the what the point is. Uh, maybe they just feel more comfortable with David Watford. Maybe they're maybe they're going to trade a starting quarterback, Dane Evans or Jeremiah Mazzoli. Oh, huh? geez, way to put <laughs> that out there. <laughs> Oh, I don't good think that's going to happen, but I, that just popped in my head I'm just, as I was I'm, talking. Oh, good. That, that's the only thing people are going to take from this. Mike, yes. Mike, Mike yes. says the tie, like you're going to you're yeah. going to make a news here, Mike. Yeah. Mike says his sources. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike has no sources. Let's make that perfectly clear. <laughs> right, but yeah, I just, I just, I, I don't know what to think of it. To be honest, if they find a way to get him on the like, we saw this team struggle mightily at the goal line against the Riders. The only touchdown they scored took them four cracks from the one-yard line to get in, and they only got that many opportunities because the Riders <laughs> didn't know where the goddamn goal line was and kept lining up offside. Right, yeah. If they find a way to get him on the roster, and I'm not even I'm not sure that's even a possibility, the CFL's changes to their roster rule. Like, I think the two-quarterback thing is dumb to begin with. I think you should be able to dress three-quarter. I think you should be able to dress as many of whatever as you want. As long as you maintain the ratio rules, then I don't really see why there should be a limit on how many players – at any position that you can have on, on a game day roster. That, but that's just me. Um, if they find a way to get him on the roster, then I understand this move. But if he's just going to sit on the practice squad, I, I mean, I'm surprised he would want to do that, considering he's a veteran player. The amount of money he's going to make sitting on a, sitting on the PR is not exactly going to you know break the bank. But if he's not going to get on the field, I'm not sure. And again, this is not a knock at Watford at all. Like he was, like I said, excellent as the team short yardage quarterback in 2019, I'm just kind of confused as to what the point of this would be, I guess is mm -hmm. I just, right. I, I'm not against it, but I just, I don't understand the reasoning for it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't see David Watford as like a, you know, potential future uh, starting quarterback no. kind of deal. We know, you know what he is. Yeah. And, but you know, He's great on short yardage, and, you know, we haven't seen him throw the ball that much, but uh, you'd think that maybe a guy like Jamar would be, uh, you know, a little bit more of an interesting prospect uh, down the road than a guy like David Watford, who is just basically a short yardage guy. But uh, I'm sure there's reasoning behind it. I just can't see it right now. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll find out when he rejoins the team, and we'll see, we'll see where it goes from there. Speaking of... Well, I guess this is more speaking of joining the team. Uh, three downs, Justin Dunk, our buddy, who's been on the show numerous times to chat about uh, all things CFL, mostly the draft. But uh, he wrote a piece for the site wondering, well, not even wondering, you know, saying that the Ticats should sign free agent wide receiver 
Naaman Roosevelt. He obviously spent the majority of his career with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, was most recently with the Montreal Alouettes, and he was cut in training camp. Uh, Dunk makes some some good points about how Roosevelt is a sure-handed receiver that could get you those first downs. Um, I guess I'll ask you, and then I'll, I'll give my opinion after you give yours. What, what did you think of this? Do you think the Ticats should go after Damon Roosevelt? I think Roosevelt's a good receiver. Um, I think he could help out this team, but I don't, you know, we got two guys, Devere Posey and Braylon Addison on the six game injured list. We don't know the status of them right now. I, unless you know something, but, uh, I don't know when they're coming back. I hope soon we do need receiver help. I, I can see where he's coming from completely, but I just think that the offensive line is the biggest problem right now. And if, you know, we add Naaman Roosevelt. If if the quarterbacks don't have time to throw it to him, then he's not going to help out at all, really. So um, I get the logic behind it and everything, and, and I think he'd be a fine addition if we had a decent offensive line right now. I guess I don't need to say anything. You just took the words right out of my mouth. I I, I wouldn't hate it if he signed. I think no. he's, a, he's a good player. Yes, he can move the chains. He'd be a great second down option or a great release valve option for, for Mazzoli or Evans if, he, if Evans ever gets in there. Um, but like you, I don't think receiving – like I think the problems with this offense starts at the offensive line and then it, it funnels everywhere else. Like I don't think the receiving group is a problem. We've seen Jalen Acklin have a good couple of games. Brandon Banks been pretty quiet, but he hasn't been terrible. Um, and then they have some young guys. So I, I understand where Dunkster's coming from with you add a, another veteran, but if – the quarterback has no time to throw the ball. I don't care who you could have Darren Flutie, Arland Bruce, G. Roy Simon, and Milt Stegall on that receiving court. It wouldn't make a damn bit of difference if the quarterback's got rushers in his face as soon as he gets the ball snapped to him. Absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, that's not the problem with the offense. The receivers are, aren't the problem. And, uh, you know, once we start getting back, guys, you know, we'll have more than enough. So, um, you know, if he, if they brought if they brought him in, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it because he he's another good talent to add to the team. But yeah, they just got to figure out um, how to protect Mazzoli before they can add more pieces. I think. Yeah, and does it also feel like it'd be a short term thing? Because like if, if Addison comes back, which I think Addison, I don't know about Posey, but Addison had his his I want to say he had his knee like clear, cleaned out, and I don't think he's going to be gone for the full six weeks. But if he comes back. And then let's say Posey does come back, you're not going to have Banks, Acklin, Roosevelt, Posey, and Addison all on the field at the same time. Like this would be, he'd come in, maybe play a few games at that. Then once the other guys get healthy, he's he's gone. Or mm-hmm. maybe this Posey thing, or maybe even the Addison thing, is a long term, a season long injury, and we don't see those guys at all. Then I can understand sort of adding a veteran, yeah. another veteran player. But if this is just going to be a just get us through until mid September when everyone else is back, I don't know why Roosevelt would do that. Maybe he gets some, some game reps and get some game film to make himself more attractive to other teams. But it's to me, signing another receiver feels more like a luxury than it does a necessity. And I'm with you. I think what they need to do is kind of focus on what's going on with the offensive line. Get that settled up. Because if, if the offensive line ever gets figured out, I have no question that this offense will start firing on all cylinders. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, like, receivers are um you know you can find a receiver plug him in mm-hmm. and he can contribute like right away or in a couple weeks at least but the offensive line talent is just so hard to find like it's like like if we have to bring in a guy like who who we're gonna bring in you know do we have a guy that's capable um i know already already talked about the offensive line <laughs> in this it's episode, gonna dominate but... the show though this this is the number one i, yeah. I think it's fair to say that fans, ourselves included, this is the number one question we have about this team. I, like, mm-hmm. I know people are going to go after the quarterbacks. I know they're going to go after the offense as a whole for not scoring points. I know they're going to go after the defense and say guys like Simone Lawrence haven't haven't stepped up and the new guys haven't picked it up. But the, the this whole – they're 0-2 because the offensive line has not been good enough. I think that is fair. I'm not blaming entirely the offensive line, but I think that if you're listening – the problems with this team, like one through ten, the offensive line has been has been the biggest issue. Yeah, absolutely. I think the old, I think both lines have been. I would have been agree. An yes, issue, I say they they would be one and two. Yes. Yeah, but it's, but you're right. Especially the number one concern is the offensive line because you have to score points in the CFL, and if you can't do that, then you're in big trouble. And there's been some injuries along the defensive line. So once they get 
settled in, I think they won't be a problem. But yes, you're right. I mean, yeah, the number one concern is the offensive line and, you know, everything after that is, you know, in the background. Um, they have to fix this and they have to fix it soon because we only have 14 games to play. So, and it's not going to get any easier either because, you know, we, we play some East Eastern teams coming up here, but they look pretty good. So um, the changes have to be made or, or something has to be done quickly so we can uh, get back on track. Changes do have to be made. And if Bodog Canada has any idea of what's going on, they think a change that could be coming is at the head coach position. They have installed Hamilton Ticats head coach Orlando Steinhauer as the odds-on favorite to be the first coach fired in 2021. Um, no offense mm-hmm. to our friends over at Bodog, but this is ridiculous. This is yeah. patently ludicrous. This guy is coming off a 15-3. I know, you know, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business, and I have no sources whatsoever. I'm just going off of being a 30-year fan of this organization. There is a zero... Uh, let me, let me rephrase that. There is a less than 0% chance that Orlando Steinhauer is fired in 2021. There's, it, this is not, they could go 0-14, and I still think he keeps his job. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, Steinhauer is here for the long haul. Um, he's been pegged to be the head coach for many years now. Um, he got his chance in 2019. 50, best season, regular season of all time for the Ticats. Um, just because he started 0-2, there's... The speculation is is ridiculous. Um, he's not going anywhere. Bob Young's not going to give up on this guy that quickly. That's just stupid. Um, you know, you look at Ken Austin's previous tenure, and uh, you know maybe he should have been gone before he was. But but Bob Young's, I think, is a loyal guy, and he tries to hold on to to his people as long as you know he can. So um, no, there, I'm with you. There's zero percent zero percent chance that uh, Steinhauer's can by the end of the season. No, we've done the revolving door thing at coach with this with this team before, and it doesn't work. Like, it's not – we talk about the offensive line being our biggest area of concern. I'm not concerned about the coaching staff whatsoever. Like, no. they didn't go from, like you said, 15-3, best record in the league and best record this franchise ever had in a regular season, to not knowing how to coach over the span of, of one pandemic. Like – I, I just, I mean, Kahari Jones, they've installed Kahari Jones right behind Steinhauer. As the, those were maybe, I think, arguably, if you add in Craig Dickinson, the two best coaches in the CFL last time mm-hmm. they played. And the Owls, this came up before this week's game. The Owls were 1-0 and they just got in Edmonton and it's kind of slapped around the Elks. Like, I, I understand that, that betting and, and sites like these and odds like these, you set the odds in a way that you think you'll maximize the most amount of money being bet on things. I just don't understand why you would <laughs> – I get it's an 0-2 start. I get the team hasn't looked good. I just – this is sort of the – I think to me the – where this whole like gambling thing with the CFL will kind of will – be, will be hard is that I don't know if anyone really knows how to handicap this league because no one's ever really thought about it before. You know what I mean? Like yeah. setting yeah. win totals or or lines for games even. It To me, it's – no one. I don't think there's anyone dedicated, or at least not yet, dedicated to any of these companies to following the CFL and knowing the league well enough to be able to reasonably set these lines. Like I think if, if we go back to what – there were some guys on like the MOP ballots and some guys that weren't on there, and you're just like, why would this guy even like merit consider – like this guy's not going to win most outstanding defensive player. Like I don't even yeah. – like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like – so I, I, I know that fans, like I myself was like, well, this is dumb when I saw it and even tweeted it out. And I know a lot of fans kind of jumped on like, this is idiotic and how dare you write something like this and yada, yada, yada. But it's like, to me, it's not, I'm not angry that like, I'm not mad. Like, I just think it's like, I, I don't think there's enough education amongst places like Bodog. And I'm not trying to rip on Bodog because I think that they're, they just have to be the most prominent uh, one of these in Canada. But I just, I don't think there's enough knowledge of this league yet for these odds to kind of be taken somewhat seriously. Yeah, especially the things like like this. You know, yeah. like maybe like lines, you know, you can figure that out or, you know, who's the favorite and all that. And some of that stuff's out of whack too. I mean, there's some money to be made because, um, you know, these well, gambling do you, sites... Do you remember, do you remember, sorry to cut you off, do you remember when Johnny Menzel came up here and like they had all these odds of like, this is, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, plus... 
2000 that he'll lead the league in touchdown passes or, you know what I mean? Like they had a bunch of these things and it's like, he's not going to do any of this stuff. Yeah, Lay the money on the good. unders on everything and you're going to win a boatload of money. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And you know, the, the, the Steinhauer thing is like, they just, it's like, they just looked at the records and went, oh, okay, they're owing to like, they have no knowledge of the franchise or what's behind it yeah. or, you know, how long they've been, trying to get Steinhauer, you know, to be the head coach. You know, he went down to the States, the college football for a while, but they always wanted him back. They always wanted, they brought him in. He was the assistant head coach. They've been grooming him for this job for years. They're not going to fire him over, you know, a bad start. So you're right. The, the, the education of these gambling sites are just not there right now. Do you think, looking at the league as a whole, like, I think we're, and I think after two games, I think it's fair to say, I know they're one and one but we, I think it's fair to say Ottawa, we know Ottawa's not going to be very good this year. That offense just isn't good enough. Um, we know that there's going to be at least one team from the West that won't make the playoffs. Is If you were to pick one head coach out of the nine, who would you say is on the, like, I, again, this is ridiculous to have this conversation at week three, but it's in the news, so let's talk about it. Is there one coach that you see on the, proverbial hot seat like is there one even close to it right now or is this is it possible i know it rarely ever happens that we'll see barring someone getting a you know an nfl gig or an ncaa gig or something like that like moving on from from a, for a promotion somewhere else is it possible we see all same nine head coaches next year i think it's very possible you know you look at a team like ottawa you know that's going to be bad um the offense is just putrid it's terrible to watch um they can't produce anything I even a team like that who might go, you know, two and twelve or three and eleven. Um, Paul Paul Apolice is the rookie head coach for you know not rookie head coach but rookie head coach to Ottawa, and he, they just brought him in and he's he's a good coach and the, the long term coach I think so. Even a team that tanks like that, I don't see them getting fired. Um, if I was it was like the through the first two weeks I was gonna like. Maybe Jamie Elizondo might yeah. have been on the hot seat just because of how poorly that offense has performed in the first two weeks. And he's an offensive guy. Um, they let the special teams coordinator go. You know, things kind of look a little shaky there. But even him, I, I wouldn't be worried about his job either. So he, he's yeah, I can totally, totally see nine, nine coaches back. Yeah, he's the only – Elizondo, if I was to pick one, it would be him. Simply because I – I, Scott Milanovic was supposed to be the head coach for Edmonton. Then he left to go to the NFL. This was, I, w- I won't say it was haphazard or slapdash or anything like that, but I don't think this was, Elizondo was never the, he wasn't the, the pick. He wasn't going to be the head coach. You know what I mean? So I think this is, if there was one, if, if Edmonton falls to like four and 10, or they, like if they don't make the playoffs and they have a poor, and the offense continues to be kind of like, yeah, they picked it up in, in, in the third game this week. But if, if, the offense kind of sputters, and I, I could see Edmonton making a change and finding and using it and, and getting someone like the entire like this was kind of a marriage of convenience because it happened so so late in the process. Like they, this was not meant to be how the team was going to have their coaching staff constructed. Um, I could see him being the one that gets let go. But O'Shea just won a Grey Cup; he's not getting fired. Dickinson's looking for, both Dickinsons, even with Calgary kind of struggling. I think Dave Dickinson's got enough. That has done enough for that franchise that I think it, it would take multiple bad years before he would even be considered on the hot seat. Craig Dickinson looks like a hell of a head coach for the Riders. I think Rick Campbell, even like Rick Campbell just came in after BC fired Devon Claybrooks after one year. I think, again, unless they've sputtered to uh, just an absolutely atrocious record and it's clear that Campbell can't do it, I think he's pretty safe. Um, Dinwiddie, first year head coach, I think he's safe. Kahari Jones, I think, uh, I think, I mean, we think the Owls are going to be pretty good. I don't think even if, if they have a bad season, he gets he gets canned. And you, what you said about La Police, it's his first year in Ottawa. If you're going to fire him, then you shouldn't have brought him in in the first place. Yeah. Um, they're going to give they're him. They're going to fire anyone. It's going to be the GM. Yeah, they're going to give La Police uh, at least like they're they're going to look at what Winnipeg did when they canned him, and then were just in the toilet for years before they finally got out of it. Um, they're going to give him a reasonably long leash, I think. Um, I, and like you said, with the general manager, I don't think Desjardins can save his – if they're bad and he goes to ownership and it's like, it's the coaching, we got to get rid of him, I I think they get rid yeah. of the GM. I think he's – I think this is his – he hired Campbell and they, they did really well. Although, to be fair, they had 
two winning seasons. Yes, they won a great cup. Yes, they got to three, but they had two winning seasons over the, those first six years. If they bottom out, it's the roster that's the problem to me, not the coaching. So, like you said, I think Desjardins more in trouble getting fired than Lapalise is. And I think the only way Lapalise would then be like, oh, is if a, a general manager came in and was like, no, I have to have this guy. But even then, I could see ownership saying, we want to stick with him. You got to make it work. Let's let's go there. So, if, if I had to pick one person, because I'm with you, I think there's a really good possibility, especially if Edmonton starts to... Edmonton gets in the playoffs, makes the West final or whatever. I don't think that you get rid of Elizondo. Um, I think we could actually see no head coaching changes over this offseason, which would be kind of spectacular. I don't know if that's yeah. – that, that's very rare in, in all sports. Never see coaches get let go and new ones brought in. Yeah, I just – there's just so many one-year, the first-year guys and, you know, giving them a chance. I know that <clears throat> that doesn't always happen like we saw with Claybrooks in BC. But, yeah, I, I could totally see all nine coaches coming back for – for another year at least. So you brought up the BC Lions just right there with Devon Clay Brooks. They have a new owner and a man named Amar Doman. Do you know anything about this guy? Did you know anything about this guy? Had you even heard of this guy before it came mm. out of kind of out of nowhere that the Lions had new ownership? Yeah, I no, I, I've never heard of him. Uh obviously a very rich man. Uh but yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere after after being for sale. I just didn't think the BC Lions would ever sell. I mean, we've been hearing that there's been four or five groups for 15, 20 years now almost, like and it just never seemed to happen. Braley never seemed to be satisfied with uh, the people that were coming to the table, but uh, uh I got to say, I you know, they had him in for the interview during the game, and even though I don't like the in-game interviews very much, uh I thought I was Pretty darn impressed with this guy. And it takes a lot to impress you, especially when it's in-game interviews. You're, yeah, you're, a, hard he, man, you're a hard man to impress, so if you say you're impressed, that's impressive. Yeah, exactly. And he just he just seemed very level-headed. Um, he seems committed. Um, and I, you know, you know what? I Like, who knows? I said that I'm not going to compare him to Johnny Manziel, but, you know, Johnny Manziel came in. He said all the right things. I was convinced, oh, this is a changed man, blah, blah, blah. And that's a terrible comparison. But... Uh, but yeah, he's saying all the right things. Um, he seems like he's committed. He's local. Um, he's from India originally, I believe. And uh, you know, Vancouver is such a multicultural city that maybe he can find a way to bring in some, you know, newer Canadians to the CFL game. Maybe he can make it popular with them, and that would be a huge thing for for Vancouver, uh, for the BC Lions, and for the attendance. I think it'd be great to get those communities involved. I have got a better comparison for you. Bob Young. Okay. So this guy reminds me, in a lot of ways, of when Bob Young bought the Ticats. We didn't know who Bob Young was. He was this mystery benefactor that was going to buy the team. And all of a sudden, it's like, who the hell is Bob Young? And you find out he's this tech billionaire who was from Ancaster, who loved the Ticats, whose brother was a massive fan. And he bought the team because he didn't want to see them go away. And... The Ticat, and the thing is, a lot of people, I think newer fans especially, like I'm not saying young fans, but I'm saying people who maybe came to the CFL in the last 15 years, aren't aware of the struggles that teams like Hamilton and Saskatchewan, who people hold up as like, Saskatchewan's obviously, you know, the number one, their merch, their attendance, their the revenues, they're at the top. The Ticats are... Not like they're far behind, but they're you know second, third, like they're they're up there as for as far as like CFL teams because of you know the the community they're in and and that those teams struggled for a lot of my childhood. The Ty Cats, I mean, Bob Young bought them out of bankruptcy. The the Riders had telethons to make sure like the Riders were gonna they, they could have folded in the nineties. You know what I mean? Like that's how rough things were for what we now consider sort of the two flagship uh, franchises when it comes to branding and, and all that sort of stuff. So that changed in Hamilton when Bobby Young bought the team. There was now stable, dedicated, local ownership, and it kind of rallied the fan base, and you started seeing that the team was not good for the first like five years of, of Young's ownership. They, we talked about coaches just recently. They cycled through three or four different head coaches, how many different, you know, franchise saving quarterbacks that they they have that come through the doors like it was it was a rough go the first few years with young and then 
okay, they now they made the playoffs, and and that kind of reinvigorated the city, and oh, now they're making great cups, and that kind of, and you've seen sort of the state. Oh, they got a new stadium, and that it, it took a while, but it, I would say, for a team that it's it's always hard to say that any team in the CFL is stable because of how. Uh, transient this league can be when it comes to fluidity and, and profitability and stuff like that. But the Ticats, I think, are on pretty solid footing. And I don't think Bob Young's going anywhere. And that was sort of the, the main pillar that sort of got the Ticats out of this constant state of concern. Because, like, I'm sure you remember in your childhood, like, there was always concern this team was going away. Like, there was always yep. the pot they were going to – uh, what was, Harold Ballard was going to move them to what was it, Halifax or something like they were going to move the team. They were like, there there's never been this. This is the most like, I don't wake up any day worrying that the tie cats are going to cease to exist. Like, I think that this team, like if the league goes, like, you know, when we were talking about the pandemic and there's worried about like, will the league exist, blah, blah, blah. That's the only way that I think the tie cats kind of fool. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's any sort of concerns anymore about this team their financial ability to make money and all that other sorts of stuff. And it's the same with the riders. The riders are obviously on excellent footing and they're not going anywhere, but that wasn't always the case. I think this guy in BC could be that pillar to get the lions back to where they were 10, 15 years ago when they were selling 40,000 tickets and they were the talk of the town. And there's, there's more to do in Vancouver, but like you bring up the diversity aspect and how he's, um, He's a minority owner. I think that will play extremely well in the Vancouver market. I just think he's local. He's dedicated. He's obviously got a ton of money. You can't buy a professional sports franchise in any league without having a boatload of cash behind you. I I think this could be sort of the shot in the arm that the Lions need to start sort of start a, the next generation of their I, I don't even know what word to you, but you know what I mean? Like they could they could get to if this works out, and I think it will. They could get to where the Thai Cats are currently after all that time with Bob Young as owner. That's why I use the Bob Young comparison. Yeah, I, I can totally see it. I mean, and it makes you wonder. Like, apparently, this guy was in the mix for like years and years, and maybe it's just David Bailey didn't want to give up the team uh, before he passed. And that's, you know, that's what it is. What it is. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have high hopes. I think it's been kind of sad to see the decline of the BC Lions over the over the years, like fandom wise. Um, from going 30, 40,000 people in the stands to, you know, 15, 16 or whatever it is right now. Um, you know, a beautiful, they have a beautiful stadium, you know, they, they have a dome and they can, they can play in the rain and people can still show up and not get wet. You know, it's, uh, he's, I think he said something about that, uh, during the interview that people are saying, you know, maybe we should get out of a BC place, but, uh, he's like, no, this place is beautiful. Um, why would we do that? So, I think you can draw people to that stadium, and I think you can get the BC Lions back on track, like we've seen before when Bob Ackles came in years ago and mm-hmm. and, and uh, brought the fan base back. I think that's possible again. I really do. I, I don't like in Toronto. It's tough, and it's going to be tough. You know, whoever's in charge there, but I think in BC you can get that fan base back. Well, in, B- in BC, we always talk about the three problem markets, right? Montreal, Toronto, yeah. and and Vancouver. We've seen it work in two of those. Recently, we've seen Montreal sell out Molson Stadium, put 50,000 people at Olympic Stadium for a playoff game. We've seen, we're old enough to have seen BC Place sold out for Lions games. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen 35, 40,000 fans in those stadiums for those games. Like, we remember it working. This is not some fairy tale from, you know, decades past where it's like, well, back in my day, the Lions used to sell. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not what it is. We've seen it work. So we know it can work. We, you just need someone who's willing to make it work. And from everything I heard from this guy reading interviews, seeing the clips from the, uh, from the, the interview he did, I think he's, he's dedicated to making this work. I think this could, be, this could be the thing that changes the fortunes for the Lions. And I think you get another franchise turned around, another one that starts making some money. That, that's only a good thing for the CFL. Like, I, I don't think there's and, – and you also have to give it time. Too. Like let's not let's not expect this guy to turn him into a multi million dollar operation over the, over the night, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. takes a lot of work. It does. It like I, I again I used the Bob Young example. He comes in in 03. That was the worst team in franchise history, and it took time to build everything back up. And now you look where the Ticats are now, and yeah, maybe they're not 
you know, they're not the writers, but they're they're not they're, solid. they're not the they're not the Argos. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's no concern here. I think with 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 this uh, with this gentleman here, I I think there's a chance that the Lions can get there, and I I'm really looking forward to watching what he does around the team, like trying to market it, and especially trying to market it to, to new Canadians, to, to immigrants, stuff like that. I, I'm, I'm very bullish on this. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm very, this, this, this feels like the, a turning point. We talk, oh my God, we, well, what did we spent the last 20 months talking about how the league's dead and no one wants anything to do with it. And you got to partner with the XFL. And now if the league was dead and, and the, the only way to make it work was going with the XFL would, would a billionaire, multimillionaire want to buy into the league? No. So mm-hmm. even that tells me just, just getting guys like this, the rich people don't like blowing their money for no reason. So, there's got to be something he sees that that, that he can oh, make it just work. a write-off, Josh. Just uh, well, write yeah, it off. it's just a write-off. <laughs> I hate that, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm I'm very excited about this guy, and uh, you know, I I, I want to see BC Place with uh, you know thirty thousand people back in it. You know, get uh, get some excitement going. Yeah, I agree. All right, Mike, we had no game to talk about last week, but we do have one coming up this week we are back with our our game preview for this week the tie cats our tie cats will travel to montreal after their bye week for a week four clash mm, pardon me oh, oh weird voice there uh week four clash with the one and one montreal alouettes on friday night i have to ask you a question and this might sound silly because we are only in week four and we've only seen the tie cats play two games is this a must win for this team it's it's a very important game. Uh, I'll say that. Um, you know, to go zero and three and then lose your third game against an Eastern Division opponent would be very hurtful to this team. Uh, very disappointing. Uh, I think it's it's a. I'll just say it's a very very important game. This early in the season, week four. Um, yeah, you you should you get you got to win this one. You just do. Just to you know, get back on the right track. Have a good performance. Get some confidence going, and then go into the next week. So yeah, it's it's. I won't say it's must win, but it's very 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 crucial. It's it's need to win, I think. Yes. Um, but I also, I think more important than just getting to win, I think they gotta look good. Like mm. if if they let, let's say they lose this game, but they lose at thirty three thirty on a last second field goal. But you see the team, okay, the offensive line is gelling. They're getting to the quarterback. They're making plays on offense. They're scoring points. Yeah, you'll be like, oh, 0-3, Jesus, okay, this is not good. But then you're like, but they turn the corner and it looks like they know what they're doing. And then you kind of, that sort of gets the ball rolling. I think you might look back on it and go, okay, it wasn't a must win because they still made the playoffs, yada, yada, yada. But it was the game that kind of got them. If they come out and they look as bad as they did in the first two games, we're having a very difficult conversation at this time next week. This is, you, nothing in August is must win, even in a truncated season. But this is... This has got to look better, at least. This is this has got to look like a professional team. This has got to put point. They got to score at least ten points. Like you got to put points on the board. I need this team to to make some stops. I need this team to score some points. Um, the win is is all ultimately all that matters. So if they win ten three, then it's like okay, fine. But I just want to see them look. I want I want to be entertained, quite frankly. Like yeah, it's wins yeah. and losses and championships are what you want when you cheer for a team. But I also want to be entertained, and I've been entertained by this team the first two weeks. And and honestly, outside of a handful of games in the CFL this year, I haven't been all that entertained by a lot of what I've seen. There's been some good performances, some catches, and, and don't get me wrong, I I expected it to be a little bit ugly to begin the season. I we, we got a really entertaining game on Saturday between the Argos and the Bombers. That was maybe the best game I've seen all season. I didn't see all of the the Stampeders Alouettes game, but the ending to that looked pretty good. Um, I was thoroughly entertained by the Argos Bombers game. Uh, I want to see more of that, and I want to see more of that from Ty guys. Obviously, I want to see wins, but also, I, I, I don't want to sit down and watch three hours or something and feel like it's a chore. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And you just look at the the offensive stats so far this year for the Tiger Cats are just atrocious. 6.5 points per game. Um, uh, what do we got here? 218 yards per game, 3.3 yards per play. I mean, yeah, it's been... Uh, not entertaining at all. Uh, it's been bad for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, it's been ugly. It, whatever word you want to use, it has not been good to watch. So you're right. They, you know, they got to get the win, but they got to look good too. They got to give us some something to grasp onto to say, 
hey, this team might be turning it around. Okay, I got two more questions for you. I'll start with the negative question first, and then we'll end on the positive. How's that sound? That um, what in this game, playing the Alouettes, concerns you either offensively or defensively? Is there something that the Alouettes do that scares you? Is there something that you need to, t- to see from the Thai Cats that you're, oh, if they, if they can do this, you know what I mean? Like, what is it? What is it in this game that you go into this game with, like that 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 patented mic negativity in the pit of your stomach? What is it? That, what is the one or two things off the top of your head that that kind of concerns you going into this game that maybe the well, Ticats can't do that could could ultimately end up in no one three start? Protecting the quarterback. I mean, that's I'm going to harp on it again. We have to be better along the offensive line. That's that's my number one concern going into this game. You know, you got to have better protection for Mazzoli. Um, and then the other one is I watched that Montreal Calgary game. Um, Montreal did not, should have won that game. To be honest with you, they were undisciplined. Um, Vernon Adams looked terrible, just terrible after like a, a, a decent start. He, he was off. He was just not good. Um, until like the last drive and they almost came back, but, um, it worries me how bad he was and how undisciplined and bad that team was. They almost won, and CFL teams, you know, it's so unpredictable. They they could look terrible one week, and then the next week be, um, you know, all-stars. And that's my concern, is that they had a bad game against Calgary, and now they're going to come in and have a, a great performance against the Tiger Cats. Okay, so what is... Because I, I agree, that to me, protecting the quarterback is... Uh is the number one concern I have on this team. It's the only thing because of that defensive line. We talked about it uh, way earlier in the show. That Montreal defensive line is really good. Like really, really, really good with Armando Sewell anchoring the middle there. It Mm kind of terrifies me. If this offensive line is as bad as we've seen in week one and week two, it could be a long night. Um, So I agree with you on that, but what is there anything that you think the Ticats, is there anywhere you see that they have an advantage in this game? Is there anywhere – is there – what, what would you like to see? I, I guess we've already kind of t- touched on what we'd like to see. We'd like to see them score points and win the game. But is there anywhere that you see – this is the positivity aspect of it. Is there somewhere you see where the Ticats can exploit – like you've, you've watched the Owls. I've watched the Owls. Is there anywhere where you can see they can kind of maybe exploit? Are you thinking maybe force Vern added into some mistakes? Maybe he gets a couple turnovers? I mean, yeah, that would be the – maybe bring bring the – Blitz more often to try to get Vern Adams uncomfortable because, um, like I said, it, you know, it worries me that he had such a bad game and he, he's probably going to bounce back. But if you can make him uncomfortable and just, you know, get some interceptions, get some turnovers, um, that would be a big deal for this team. You know, if you can get points on the defensive side of the ball, that's going to help out this team a lot. I think we have the advantage at quarterback. I think Mazzoli's a better quarterback than Vernon Adams, even with their performances so far this season. Um, but other than that, I mean, you look at these teams and they're pretty well, you know, you know, I think they're pretty even right now with, uh, with the talent on the field. If we get some of these injured guys back, um, which I'm not sure we will, uh, that could help out quite a bit, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough game against these guys because once again, I'm worried about the, the bounce back game. I would just like to see them be disciplined in going after Adams because, what he can do off play in particular, you know, like when things break down and he's scrambling around and he's playing school year, that, that's when I think he's at his most dangerous. When he's kind of hemmed in and trying to trying to do things like on schedule, I think – I don't think he's as dynamic as he, as he can be when he's making things up as he goes along. And I know that's not really – you can't really run an offense of just like, ah, go out there, run around, and, and, and chuck it up. But when he does that, some of those receivers that they have in Montreal come down with some amazing catches. So if, if they can kind of keep him hemmed in, especially if they keep him in the pocket and get, get in his face and don't let him don't let him escape too much. If he escapes, he can make plays with his feet. He can make plays with his arms. I think that's where they could get into trouble. Um, I, I just like to see them kind of be more disciplined and, and kind of attacking him. And I think if they do that, I think that they can come up with a win. Because, yeah, the bounce back game is a possibility. But does, does he remind – you know what? Does he remind you at all of Mazzoli? Like – He's, he's such an exciting player. He might be the most exciting player in the league to watch right now because you never know what you're going to get with him. Like, I know that Alouette's fans might be like, well, yeah, he's he's great and I love him. But, like one, like you said, one week he's he's awesome, next week he's terrible. But does he remind you of, like, Jeremiah Mazzoli in that respect where, like, especially early on in Mazzoli's career where you're kind of like, 
I mean, we know he's good. We know he's got the tools. But, man, he, 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 he can never put it all together. And we finally saw Mazzoli do it. Now, obviously, yeah. I'm discounting what we've seen so far this year because the team hasn't looked very good. But is there is there a young Jeremiah Mazzoli component to Adam's game that you see here? Because I see it. Yeah, I, I could totally see that. You know, it uh, he showed promise early on in his career. And I think he's developing just like Mazzoli did. Um, I think Bernard Adams is a little bit more mobile, maybe a little faster. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I could totally see that con- comparison. And, and another thing I think that is huge in this game is take away William Stanback. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's a tremendous running back. We've seen him run over the Cats. Um In 2019, he had that great game. Um, if, they ta- if they take away the running game from this offense, uh, I think they might have a tough time. Yeah, a lot will depend on injuries. If if, if Dylan Wynn comes back, if, if Teddy yeah. LeBron's... The defensive line is healthy. I think I think they can slow down the run game. If it's not, then we're... I don't know. It's just tough. It's it's. Uh, I didn't think we'd be in the position of worrying about an 0-3 start, quite frankly. But uh, here we are. I don't. We're not going to make picks. We don't make picks. Do you think they can win this game? Of course. Of course it is. <laughs> of course. I think, I, think, I think that they, you know, they can... Uh, will they? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I think I, I, I think they will. Ultimately, I think they'll get this win. This is what I said in the first two games. But I think that they're going to come out with some desperation. They're going to throw it all at the Montreal Alouettes to uh, you know try to turn around the season, get a win in the win column. So um, I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a tough game. But I think ultimately they're going to pull off the W. All right, I like that positivity. I like the way you think. So uh, that's it, man. That's another episode in the books. Uh, I don't know, man. It's uh, I, I didn't think we'd be sitting here heading into week four talking about a, a winless football team, but uh, hopefully they get the W this week and uh, we can start next week's show off giving away another shirt, but having a much more jubilant episode where we talk about a Ticats victory. What do you say? Yeah, that would be great. And then after that, uh, it's, uh, it's, Labor, it's Labor Day. Day, right? Yeah. Labor we know Day, we're going to win yeah. there. Well, I don't know. The way that the, the, the Argonauts played yesterday against the Bombers, it was pretty darn impressive. Eh. But, uh, no, it's Labor Day. We haven't, we haven't lost Labor Day games matter. since 2012. Mike, we haven't lost a Labor Day game in over ten, almost 10 years. Didn't yeah, that's true. <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't matter what the records are going into nope. Labor Day. Um, there's such a rivalry game that uh, anything can happen. So sure. hopefully... By the end of Labor Day, we will be a uh, 500 club. Yeah, and uh, either tied for or in first place in the East. And then they can go on a run. They can go 12-2, and two, and we can forget these first two games ever happened, right? Yeah, I'm down with that. <laughs> All right, that was Pods for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.